Hey, it's Alex here. Before we get started, I wanted to tell you that this episode of the New Stack Makers is part of our second season of the Tech Founder Odyssey. We heard from a lot of founders in the first series, and we're going to hear from more about what it takes for a technical founder to launch a startup. What were the challenges they faced? What were the pitfalls? What were their personal stories along the way? This is what you'll get from the Tech Founder Odyssey series. I'll be hosting the first episode, and then I'll be handing it off to Heather Jocelyn and Colleen Call for the rest of season two. They are a dynamic duo. They do awesome work. I think you'll love to hear their interviews. We've got some great guests lined up, so please stay tuned. You're listening to The New Stack Makers, a podcast made for people who develop, deploy, and manage at-scale software. For more conversations and articles, go to thenewstack.io. All right, now on with the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Tech Founder Odyssey. It's a uh, presentation by the New Stack Makers podcast. I'm your host, Heather Joslin of the New Stack, and I'm joined today by my TNS colleague, Colleen Call. Hi, Colleen. Hello, and good morning and good evening, wherever you are. Thank you, Heather, for having me. Thank you for joining us, and welcome to all the time zones around the globe. <laughs> today, we're talking to Shira Shamban, co-founder of relatively new startup Salvo, a company that's focused on data and cloud infrastructure security. To date, Salvo has raised about $4 million through its initial seed round through Surround Ventures and SLV Partners. Shira's got a pretty interesting story to tell about her background and how Salvo's story is unfolded in its early chapters. Hi, Shira. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's, a, it's a great honor to be here tonight. Yeah, so just before we get started, Solvo raised up until now $11 million. So that's an oh, update oh. Uh, oh, that's to great. the information that you have. Congratulations. Um, thank <laughs> yes, you. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Surround Ventures, uh, Magenta Venture Partners, TLV Partners, and a bunch of other angel investors and VCs. That's terrific. Well, let's go back to where it all began. What what got you interested in technology and computers and how did you start learning about them? So I got to this area almost by mistake. As you might be familiar with this, uh, in Israel, we have a mandatory military service. And like everyone else, I joined to do my two-year service. But as I, I started and was drafted into the intelligence corps, that got me very interested. I did not know I would end up to be where I am today. I thought it's just an episode. My dream was to be a doctor. Oh. <laughs> but during that time of getting to know the world of cybersecurity and technology, I got an opportunity to go to university. And still with that dream of being a doctor, I went and studied biomedical engineering, assuming that if the road takes me to med school later on, it would be a, a good base. But I stayed in the military for another year and another year and got to learn a lot about cybersecurity, got to do things myself, got to manage other teams that were doing really exciting things. And this is how, how I got into technology almost by accident. I was not, I was a geek in school, but not a computer geek. So that kind of helped me not to be intimidated by technology, uh, to learn that I can learn anything I want by myself. And the most important thing is to, to just 
try out things that you learn. Uh, so I used to create my own little projects at home just to experiment what my team is doing because on my day-to-day basis, I didn't have time to, to work a, a code and do the things that they're doing. So I tried to do some projects by myself. And basically, this is how I got to cybersecurity. And this is how I got to, to build technology. After my service, I decided to stay in, in this world. I, I wanted to become an entrepreneur, but I wasn't sure that I have the right expertise. Uh, so I decided to join another cloud security company. And this is where I gained more experience in the civil world or in the private sector. And after that episode, I, I got the guts uh, or I, I got stupid enough uh, to start a company. <laughs> It sounds Guts, as if, stupid enough, tomato, <laughs> <yeah>. tomato. <laughs> it sounds as if you had a bit of uh, imposter syndrome, Shira. You were at Dome 9 Security. Is that where you, uh, you you thought you had the gumption to, okay, if I'm here, then, you know, I'm ready for a startup, but you weren't really sure. So uh, I'm just wondering, what, what, what was the trigger that said, hey, you know, I can do this? So deep inside, I knew I have what it takes, but... As a very rational person, I'm always aware that there are so many things I don't know, right? So in between working at Dome 9 and my military service, I actually got to work in, a, in an accelerator in San Francisco called 500 Startups. And for me, that was boot camp for the private sector. And that opened my eyes. That got me to understand that I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start a company. I can do it. I have almost everything it takes except for experience. There are many people who become an entrepreneur without experience. And I think it's, it's absolutely possible. But for me, back in 2017, I was not, you know, in the right mood to just go and start a company. I felt like I have a lot of gaps in my knowledge and understanding about the private sector. I didn't know what's a VC. What is, you know, what does fundraising really mean? So I'm happy that I decided to join another startup and to use that time to learn more about this industry. After that experience, when I knew that it's probably the time to start my own company, I can share with you that, you know, I like to go and get advice from other people that I appreciate. And I believe they have relevant experience. Some of them said, yes, you need to go and start the company right away. And some said, oh, why don't you come and work for another startup for a couple more years and gain some more experience? I decided to take the, the other way and to start my own company uh, uh, right after the Dome 9 period, because the right time is now. Uh, it always is. You, you co-founded Solvo with David Hendry. Can you, what do each of you bring to your company's leadership? How did you decide who would be CEO and who would be CTO? David and I worked together at Dome 9. David was one of the first developers in the company. And we were working on different products within that company. But very often I used to stay up uh, late in the office and I would see him as well. So, you know, we grab something to eat and I, I used to have some casual conversations like, what are you doing here so late? What are you working on? And very often I realized he's there working on troubleshooting issues that are not his 
or not his team's responsibility. And this is exactly the kind of approach one would need to bring to the table in a startup. It's not about who created it or whose fault is it. It's about we're building a product, something is not working, our customers might be affected by it. We need to fix it. I don't care whose fault is it. We will figure out, we will do a post-mortem tomorrow. But right now we need to fix this issue. And I really appreciated this approach. And I knew that this is the kind of person I want beside me. I knew I wanted a co-founder. It's not always like that. Not everyone wants a co-founder and that's fine. Some people want to have more than one co-founder. That's also fine, but that creates a different kind of complexity. I knew I wanted someone with deeper technical skills, someone who could lead the development of the product or products. And I was very happy that David felt the same. It didn't take us long to understand that uh, this is the right match and this is the right time. Before we decided to do it together, I had other conversations with other people. When it's right, you just know that it's right. So you're starting a new company just as the global pandemic begins. Uh, great, great, <laughs> great timing. Great timing. <laughs> it's time of great uncertainty and, and still kind of is in, in many ways. What were the biggest challenges and were there any advantages to starting when you did? <laughs> I think that the biggest, if, if I could call it an advantage or the biggest positive implication on, of, of the pandemic was that People adapted quickly to Zoom meetings, to virtual meetings. Up until that time, until the, the pandemic hit, people used to, to say that in order to fundraise, you have to meet your investors in, in person. They need to know you. Uh, you need to travel back and forth to, to the US or to wherever the investors are. They need to see you. They need to meet with you. And all of us adapted. We started meeting over Zoom. Still, when we had the Zoom meetings, some people said, yeah, but you can't fundraise this way. They just want to get to know you. They're not going to write any checks. At the beginning, the VCs were not writing any checks. And we ended up getting the first check from TLV Partners. Uh, it's a VC here in Tel Aviv. So they're in Tel Aviv. I'm in Tel Aviv. And we didn't meet them until the money was already in the bank. So... It means that we, we might have some uh, patterns in our minds of what we can or cannot do, but reality is stronger and people adapt. The smart thing to do would be adapting quickly. So that, in a way, that was good. Uh, obviously, there were many other challenges. One of them was doing the transition from meeting face-to-face -to, -face to meeting virtually and creating a rapport. All of a sudden, you know, people stop, stopped attending conferences. So these are less opportunities for us to meet, to meet our users, to meet our buyers. So we needed to adapt quickly for that as well, to come up with new ideas. And just like we ran into this challenge, everyone in the industry runs into this challenge. So everyone had to come up with, with new ways to meet their users, to meet their customers. And this is still a challenge today. Was this a small group of employees, of, of Salvo employees that you started off that, that had to adapt from being in person to remote? Or was it more, a little bit larger than you expected for now that you, you have to Zoom all the time that this might be an incredible feat? <laughs> I, I'm just wondering because sometimes startups are, they're smaller than usual. And then some of them are like medium size, even though they're called startup. 
But I'm just wondering, I mean, what was the, uh, oh my God, oh wow, the pandemic has hit. So we got to just go Zoom. Was it a lot of logistics that you had to do? Was it more comfortable than you expected? Uh, I mean, based on the, the the size of your company. Of course. So at the time, it was only David and myself. We would, oh. he and I would meet in person. Like we, we were in a program called AWS Builder Space. It's a program for startups by Amazon Web Services. They gave an office space for a bunch of young startups like ourselves. We would, we used to come to their office, have a desk, sit and work, have our, our Zoom or face to face meetings with investors over there. And one day they got an instruction from the headquarters that the office is closed. No visitors, <laughs> no employees are allowed. We had to wow. leave their premise and to immediately, you know, work from home. So it was just the two of us. It wasn't a big deal. But as soon as we had the first check, we rented a room in an office, in a big office of another company that had to do some layoffs. If you recall, at the beginning of the pandemic, many organizations did some layoffs or sent people to an unpaid leave. So they had some space and they wanted cash. So we started in one room and we insisted on coming to the office because we knew that as a startup, yeah, some organizations would open a Zoom room and have all the employees uh, open the Zoom, even though they're each working on their own laptop. We knew we wanted to sit together in the same room because the, the conversations you have over a cup of coffee are not the same ones that you have on a chat, on Slack. So that was our decision. Uh, for a long time, it was an unpopular decision. I know that other companies started working remotely. And today, two years later, they're struggling to have some kind of hybrid model. Some employees want to come yeah. back to the office. Others don't want to come back to the office. And I don't judge. There are, you know, different models for different companies. There are some companies that from day one worked remotely. But for us, we really like the atmosphere. We like working together. We like having lunch together. And this is also the company DNA that we built. We brought in people who like to be together, who want to have a chat, who want to go grab a beer after work. So this is what we built here. Are you hybrid or are you just, I mean, do you, do you allow the opportunity to Zoom and, and, and come in? I, I'm just trying to get that, that we take work, from you. The team in, in Israel, in Tel Aviv, uh, is working from the Sobo office, except for one day a week, which is Tuesday, and they get to choose if they want to come to the office or work from home. And I would say it's 50-50. Uh, Half of the people want to come to the office. The other half wants to work from home and that's fine. And obviously, you know, we are human beings and if someone needs to work from home, it's okay. Uh, we're very flexible, but generally speaking, we work four days a week from the office. One day a week is uh, up to you to decide. If you like tech podcasts, then you need to subscribe to Software Defined Talk right now. It's a weekly podcast that recaps all the news in cloud computing, DevOps, and enterprise software. The hosts, Kote, Matt Ray, and Brandon will keep you up to date on topics like Kubernetes, DevOps, platform engineering, and anything related to enterprise tech. Plus, they'll weave in plenty of nonsense like how to optimize shopping at Costco. 
It's a fun, freewheeling conversion that will keep you informed and entertained while doing the dishes or walking your dog. What are you waiting for? Subscribe to the podcast today by visiting softwaredefinedtalk.com or by searching for Software Defined Talk in your favorite podcast app. How many employees do you have now? We have 20 employees in Tel Aviv and in the U.S. So in the U.S., we were not uh, very strict about geography because we don't have an office. So we have uh, employees working remotely. I was wondering if your culture is focused on the office, and at least in Tel Aviv anyway. I mean, do you foresee that as being a problem with recruiting going forward? Do you think people will self-select? In Tel Aviv, I don't think it's a problem anymore. I think that people now, some of them are reluctant and wish to work from home. That's absolutely fine. There are others who are happy to come to the office. They're happy to use public transportation to do so, you know, to to make a better use of their time. They can work, they can talk on the phone, they can do other things on their commute. So I don't think it's a, this is not the challenge today. Anyway, the, the work from office. I think that there are other challenges today, because if you think about it, this today it's a, you know February 2023. One year ago, you couldn't hire a recruiter, not to mention a developer. And today, the situation shifted, and there are many layoffs. Unfortunately, uh, many people are looking for jobs uh, as developers, as engineers. As DevOps engineers, so so that shifted, and now the challenge is the challenge is always to find the good and talented, and also the right fit. Someone can be a remarkable engineer, but not the right fit for the company. So that remains a challenge. It's not super easy. It's not super quick. But today, you have more people looking for new opportunities. That's interesting that you you brought that up because that was a question of mine with these layoffs happening and what your perspective. Uh, or any insights that you might have, or even a message to a lot of folks, maybe some of your colleagues that were affected by this? So it's an uncomfortable situation. Whenever I hear about a company doing layoffs in our industry, not in our industry, and even if it's a direct competitor, I feel bad. I feel bad because I think about the CEO who had to make that decision and it makes me feel bad. I mean, I, I, I'm, I can only imagine what they're going through. It's never an easy situation and it's always a hard decision to make. And you always think about the, the people, like each and every one of them has a story. They have a family. They have to go and look for a new place to work at. It's uncomfortable. So I really feel for them. I also feel for the employees, but regarding to them, they also have the responsibility for their own careers. And we should remember that these things happen. You have some good days and you have some bad days. You have responsibility to manage your career and to make sure you are routed in the right path for you. Sometimes surprises happen, unexpected events happen, but it is up to you to make sure that uh, you're up to date with the tech stack that is uh, is used in the industry, uh, that you're familiar with new technologies, that you know how to use them. If you want to be, a, do you want to be a manager or do you want to be more of staff engineer? So based on on what you think is is better suited for your career path, you need to make sure you build it that way, and that everything that you do today prepares you to the next challenge. If you worked in the same place for five years and didn't make sure you're familiar with new technologies and new challenges in, in your industry, then you need to wake up 
and you need to take good care of yourself and take responsibility and ownership on your career because you never know when it's going to hit. That's a, that's a good point. It definitely. It's, a, I think also to this generation of people in tech, the younger generation of people in tech haven't been through this before. It's all been boom times, you know? So good advice there. Have you been able to establish, you mentioned asking people to, to be in the office. How do you, how do you establish a new, an organizational culture in a new, in a new organization? How have you been able to do that? It's a great question. David and I knew what kind of organization we wanted to create, but we don't always know how to create it. I think that many people think they might be good managers, but they have a lot to learn. And as I was saying before, I, I'm always thinking about everything that I don't know. And I like to talk to people who know better than me. I think that this is probably one of the most important things for a CEO or, or, or for a manager to understand yes. that you don't know everything, but you need to find the people who know better than you. Uh, yes. and this is why <laughs> David and I worked with an organizational psychologist from day one, and she's been helping uh, uh, in the last two and a half years with uh, uh, helping us to define what is company culture and how to implement it or how to build the DNA uh, 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 to be to be what David and I wanted to for this organization to be. She helped us with every hiring in the company. And I know that some people were surprised, you know, some are a junior developer meeting this kind of HR executive in their hiring process. Many people are very surprised. They did not expect for this to happen. They're very surprised at the kind of conversation they're having with her. Because as I was saying before, it's not only about your technical expertise. It's also about what kind of person you are. Sometimes we found very professional people that we didn't think would make a good fit to the culture that we want to build. So we did not hire them. And in the boom times when, you know, it was really hard to hire engineers, these were tough decisions, but we had to make them because we knew that building a culture is easier in a way than fixing a culture. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's true. And I mean, that's one thing a startup gives you is a chance to start, you know, to build a culture from scratch. Something we try to ask all the CEOs we interview, have you been able to achieve work-life balance? And if so, how? <laughs> so, <laughs> in some, some days, yes. And some days, no. Obviously, as an entrepreneur, I want to say you, you pay a price, but in a way, it's a price you're happy to pay. When you pay a price that you were prepared to pay and that mentally you knew was going to, to happen, then it, it is not as painful compared to when it's, when it's a surprise. So, I mean, yes, you pay a price. I stay late in the office. Sometimes I work on weekends. I have to travel a lot. This is all true, but I know I chose it. I know what I was getting into. And I know that even in the toughest days, I'm excited about this challenge. So it is hard, but it is also very rewarding for me. I love what I do. I have a lot of passion for this. And this is why, yeah, when, when I pay a price, I don't look at it this way. I know that this is part of, of what I chose. I own this. Having said that, one of the most important things that helped me in this journey, and this is also something I think everyone can, can take to their own personal life, is find one thing that keeps, keeps you mentally healthy. And for me, 
that was sports. I, you know, there are some times when my mind is so occupied with fundraising, customers, uh, problems in the office, occupied with everything. I can't, I can't mute those thoughts. But when I go and play tennis, I can't think about those things. So all of a sudden I have 60 minutes of silence. And when, when I finish, you know, the workout, things look a little different. I'm more relaxed. So during those busy times, I actually try to play more tennis than usual, just because I know that these are extremely valuable 60 minutes for my mental health. Uh, and I invite everyone to find that one thing they can do. You can jog, you can swim, you can play tennis, you can play with me. Just find that thing <laughs> that lets you, that gives you that peace of mind for 60 minutes. Good advice. Colleen, did you have a, a final question? No. Well, I did. I noticed uh, during our research, you had mentioned, well, you have on your Twitter profile, it's good morning is not a greeting, it's a decision. And that, I don't know, I, I felt that <laughs> for some reason. Would you like to provide some insight or perspective on as to why you have that posted on your profile? Is that a message to yeah. some folks? I like to take ownership on my life. When shit hits the fan and they hit the fan, I don't sit and ask myself, oh, whose fault is it? It's not my fault. It's someone else's. No, it doesn't matter. Let's take ownership on our lives and make sure we live them the way we want to. So when you wake up in the morning, it is up to you to decide how you're going to live this day. I can't say every day is, you know, uh, uh, unicorns, butterflies, and rainbows, but why not? <laughs> because some days are not. Because some days are not, and it's natural. But the yeah. important thing is to remember that tomorrow is a new day. Exactly. And it is up to you to decide what's going to happen in those 24 hours. Some things you can control, some things you can't. But you can decide to try and, and look at the positive side of things. You can try and see, okay, so that didn't work out. What did I learn from this? It's, it's a matter of perspective. And I invite everyone to choose uh, uh, the glass half full. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very Thank much you. for that. <laughs> one, one, last, one last question. What's next for, for you and for and Salvo? So what Salvo brought uh, to the table, and I think this is uh, our differentiator, we brought uh, an approach of automation and auto-remediation. There are many cloud security products out there, but None of them is doing uh, the remediation part in a deep way like we do it. And my goal for the coming couple of years would be to show the market that it can be done. It is already done. And now it's our time to, to take this approach and implement it in our work processes. When I talk to CISOs, the number one problem they talk to me about is not the cloud. It's not third party. It's the lack of uh, more security professionals. This is mm -hmm. their number one problem. I cannot yeah. produce more security engineers for you, but I can help you save the existing ones time 
and make sure they make the, the most out of it. So this is the approach that we bring to the table. And uh, now we're going to take over the world. That's it. <laughs> world domination. That's, <laughs> That's right. settled. <laughs> and, and, uh, and with that, we'll wrap up this edition of the Tech Founder Odyssey. Uh, Colleen Call and I would like to thank our guest, Shira Shamban of Salvo, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. It was our pleasure as well. And I'm Heather Joslin for The New Stack. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's one of the best ways you can help us grow this community, and we really appreciate your feedback. You can find the full video version of this episode on YouTube. Search for The New Stack, and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss any new videos. Thanks for joining us, and see you soon. Thanks for joining us, and see you soon.